This is episode 53 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gilmer. Women are being called to lead with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each week, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Hello, my extraordinary women friends. It is springtime here in the Rockies, and I love it. It's beautiful. The grass is turning green. The flowers are coming up. The horses are getting out on the pasture. But I'm about to head to Alaska for vacation, where it's not as far along in their spring cycle as we are here in Colorado. But I'm headed up there to celebrate my niece's high school graduation with her. And I'm looking forward to some good family time and some beautiful outdoor scenery. Alaska is so wild and raw and beautiful. It really feeds my soul. The wildlife, you know, there's there's moose, there's bear, there's eagles, the wild weather, the scenery. It's truly a magical place and it's going to be a really good time. I'm looking forward to it. And my big news this week is that I'm thrilled to have just joined the E-Woman Podcast Network. An additional 500,000 women entrepreneurs in the E-Woman Network now have quick access to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am super excited about this opportunity. And for those of you who are joining Extraordinary Women Radio for the very first time, I want to say hello and welcome. You're joining us on the 53rd episode of Extraordinary Women Radio, and I invite you to scroll back through some of our prior interviews and tune in. In addition to the many seven-figure entrepreneurs and successful CEOs doing great work in the world, I've interviewed an astronaut who holds the longest spacewalk record, a woman who has walked around the world, a woman who is in the top 1% of social media influencers, a woman who has directed and produced a movie, many women who have written extraordinary books, a woman who has worked alongside former First Lady Hillary Clinton, uplifting women around the globe for many years. I've interviewed a former First Lady of Colorado, artists and teachers, and several inductees into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. If you're looking for inspiration from women who are change makers, who are dreamers, and more importantly, who are doers, you've come to the right place. For me, it's about telling the stories of women with grit and grace, women who want to and who are making a difference in our world. They inspire me every week, and I believe you will find their personal stories of perseverance, success, loss, hope, and big dreams inspiring as much as I do. I would also like to invite you to join us on May 29th for the Extraordinary Women Connect event that is all about connecting great women to great women. Many of my podcast guests will be joining us, and this event is all about women coming together in meaningful conversation and story. And then just a few days later, I'm hosting my annual Equine Vision Journey Retreat on June 1st and 2nd, a powerful getaway retreat that offers a very soulful way to step into your next bold move in your life. It's about raising up your voice, to raise up your presence, and to raise up the impact you are making in the world. For those of you who have never experienced equine-guided retreats, I can promise a weekend of magic and smiles and laughter. And for those of you who have, you know the power of this work. If you join us, my soulful herd of horses will guide you to your deepest inner knowing, to awaken the cowgirl grit and the mystical gypsy wisdom that is waiting to be set free in you. This is a journey to your soul, 
and with your heart. You will connect deeply to who you are and build the vision of how you can really matter in this world. This is my favorite weekend all year long, and I'm always blown away by the big, bold steps my guests take when they get back home. Talk about creating a ripple effect of impact. It's this kind of work that has me loving all I get to do in this world. You can find details for both of these events on my website at cammygilner.com. I'd love for you to join us. So let's dig into today's interview. I am so super excited about this one. Today's Extraordinary Women Radio guest is Dr. Sharon Stroud. Dr. Stroud is a woman of power, of elegance, and passion. She's an author, a professional speaker, and an international peace activist. She also, has, she also serves as the dean of the Institute of Successful Living. Her philosophy has been about good leaders create other leaders, not followers. That resonates with me. She passionately believes that we are not here just to go through the motions of making a living. We are here to make a difference. Dr. Stroud is the president of the International Foundation for World Peace and Research, and she has traveled all over the world sharing her teachings. Most recently, she's spoken at the Madonna University in Nigeria, Africa, the University of Istanbul Medical Center in Turkey, the University of Zagreb in Croatia, the University of African and Oriental Studies in London, England. She's spoken at, in Essen, Germany, at the Queen's College in Cambridge, England, and Oslo, Norway. She carries a message of peace and harmony while engaging in charitable acts of forgiveness and love. And I am so honored to have Dr. Sharon Stroud with us today. Let's meet Dr. Sharon Stroud. Well, welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio, Dr. Sharon. It's such an honor to have you here today. And it's such an honor to be with you, Cammie. And I want to really acknowledge the work that you're doing. Uh, I love that. Yeah, I was, so, I was so inspired by you at the Limitless Woman Conference that we were at a few weeks ago. Everything that you were, I was taking mad notes every time you were up on the stage and talking. And one of my favorite things that you said at the conference was, whatever the present moment is, act as if you chose it, work with it, not against it. This is where the transformation occurs. And, and this is what creates miracles. That it was just like the best quote of the whole entire weekend. It it was it's so important. Thank you. Yeah. And can you share a story from your own life when something just didn't turn out the way you'd hope, but you opted to act as if you chose it instead? Absolutely. Um, it's really interesting as women, uh, you know that I'm a minister for 43 years. Right, And uh, it was a profession 43 years ago that very few women really were um, aspiring to. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm part of the New Thought Movement. We believe that all paths that lead to God are good. Many, many pathways up the mountaintop, and the view is always the same from the summit. So it matters not what our path is, because energetically, if we are practicing the principles and the presence of uh, whatever our path, then that's going to uh, come forth and uh, relate us kindness and love and and uh, all the great verities in life. So uh, when I was um, in the ministry, and I, uh, it's really fascinating because 
Um, I had a mentor, and she was uh, she had been in the ministry many years, and she was like one of the forerunners. And she used to come to Los Angeles, and she would speak at our ministerial training at the Ernest Holmes College, and um, I, I just really revered her. And she was like someone I interviewed for one of my. Uh, uh, final exams that we had to go out and, and into the field and interview ministers. And uh, she was amazing. So it was, uh, I was in San Diego and I had 3,000 people showing up every week. I had TV, radio. I really wanted to get the message out that we teach because people at times are leading lives of quiet desperation. And our message is a message of not only hope but truly transforming one's life. And there's a beautiful quote, uh, be not, uh, it's not, be not conformed to the things of this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when we can make a shift within that mindset and begin to see things from a higher vibratory frequency, then we see everything working for us and rather being at the effect of it working to, you know, it's like, right. So they right. did it. To me. We're in flow, right? So that's, yeah, the whole victim mentality. So when uh, this is our way of life, where we we uh, just acknowledge uh, that we are really here to fulfill our destiny from the very highest point of view. Right. And we acknowledge all the great avatars and teachers and sages of the ages. And uh, so it was really fascinating. I was uh, had this huge mega ministry and I lived in Coronado on the ocean and I was raising my daughter in Coronado. Uh, I was widowed mm-hmm. uh, when she was uh, three days old. Uh, oh my! Her father was her father was uh, diagnosed with stage four cancer, and so uh, that was quite a journey in itself. Oh, absolutely! However, to get back, yeah, to get back to this other situation, I uh, I went independent, and uh, because uh, we had an affiliation with a an institution, and there was a lot of infighting and politics and things that I really didn't sign up for, nor did I relate to. They were not really <laughs> empowering our consciousness. So I went independent. I became an independent New Thought minister. And uh, I noticed that uh, my mentor's uh, ministry that uh, had a school with 350 children and 10 acres and just a beautiful, beautiful facility to really do the work. And carry on with seminars and workshops and all the wonderful things that the New Thought Movement does. And uh, so I candidated and their board members came to San Diego and then immediately took me aside and asked me um, if I would, you know, come to uh, that ministry. Well, what I didn't realize is they had five assistant ministers that were women and they were very, very upset that they went outside uh, their their ministry and brought someone in when they had five ministers. Mm-hmm. However, no, none of them were real pulpit ministers and speakers. So they said they wanted to build this ministry because there was really a handful of people there. And I was stunned. I mean, the place needed painting. I mean, the, it was just so run down. I was shocked because in a day, you know, 10 acres, beautiful stained glass in the sanctuary and, and the children's school, so much that uh, could be worked with. 
And uh, so I worked very, very diligently for one whole year. And from the handful of people, we suddenly had 600 people coming. We had two services. We had classes, workshops, 12-step programs, you name it. I just wanted to really fulfill the destiny of this facility and the energy that uh, was there for us. And uh, so in August, I went away for a month. And... uh, the assistant ministers went to the board and said, you know, you're paying her such and such amount. And uh, we spoke, you know, I extended myself and gave each one of them a Sunday when I was gone for the month of August. So mm-hmm. each one I could have a Sunday to give a talk and, and uh, feel like they were included. And out of that, they went to the board and said that, um, you know, you're paying us $100 a Sunday and you're paying her all of this. Not that I was working 24-7, mind you, mm-hmm. to get it up to where I felt that we could really then, you know, we could grow exponentially. Once you hit 500, then you start growing exponentially. And um, so they, you know, I guess uh, put forth their case. And uh, when I got back, uh, they said, the board said, well, we feel like, you know, you've taken it to this great level and uh, we're just so appreciative, but we have these other assistant ministers, so your services are no longer needed. Okay. And uh, I had come from San Diego. I had left everything to be there. So as I announced it to the congregation, the congregation called for the board's resignation. And there was like this huge, huge upheaval. And they uh, shared, this is why people really have aversion to organized religion. I always say, uh, we're not that organized, you know, but, um, (laughs) right. So energetically, um, I saw this whole thing unfolding and I was like stunned. And one Sunday I came in and they had told the congregation that I had resigned and they hired five armed guards to escort me out. Wow. And it was a it was a surreal feeling, Certainly. and the reason they hired the security yeah the security guards is uh, they thought there would be an upheaval, well which actually there was, but I you know I just quelled it and I said um, all is well we know that everything unfolds for a reason and we just you know we're just going to uh, draw the larger circle and include this. And I had such a peace and calm that came over me. And the security guards said, you seem like a really wonderful person. We're really sorry we have to do this, but we were hired to do this. And I said, I understand, boys. Just let it go. The following week, I went across the street to there was a hotel. And I opened up the ministry at the hotel, and everyone followed me. So here they are with this mausoleum of 10 acres and a huge sanctuary, almost sitting empty as we went across the street. So what, for me, uh, energetically, uh, drawing the larger circle and working with it, I realized that this was a vital part of my own evolution. And I realized in that moment, my power. Everyone has always said, you're so powerful. It's just amazing. And we emulate you. I didn't know what they were talking about. I had no idea. Right. I was just being me, operating the way I always operate. At that moment, I realized anyone who would hire five armed guards to escort me out, I must be powerful. 
Right. And it's right. fascinating because uh, when I was in San Diego, I was briefly married to the deputy mayor. And he used to tell, and he was very threatened of my ministry. That's why it didn't last. I was widowed, went into this other situation, and it just, you know, <laughs> it did not. He was just way too threatened. And he used to tell people, Sharon is a very wealthy and powerful woman. Well, I had never seen myself in that light, ever. Mm-hmm. And in that split second, in that moment, I realized that I could move through this situation, that I would come out on the other side, and that that true power that everyone had always attributed to me, I, it's like it was an instantaneous download. I got it. I absolutely got it. And that when we're connected to a higher power, energetically, and we open ourselves to it, then really nothing is impossible unto us. And the fact that we want to make it a better world. And as women, we're nurturers, we're natural nurturers, and we have heart. It's interesting. We make the longest journey on the planet. We make the 18-inch journey from the head to the heart, the heart being the doorway to the soul. And women are changing the world. In fact, the Dalai Lama stated that it's the women of the West who are going to bring world peace. And I love that he he got that because we're activists. We put the works with the faith, the action with intention, and we move forward in that energy. And uh, I'm really summarizing. I mean, it was just an amazing, (laughs) amazing experience to have People were saying, you know, it became a witch hunt. They, some people even were calling me a witch. I mean, that I was bewitching people. It was just, it was like I was in Salem. Right, <laughs> right, right. But um, and what what you felt was you you really tuned into these this this essence of who you are. This essence of I, I I'm shining my light. I'm living my life the way I'm meant to be living my life. And as you made that transformation and saying, you know what, I'm going to go to this, I'm going to move across the street and you have this gathering of people follow you. What did you recognize about yourself that, that became apparent for the rest of your life? You know, what, 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 from that experience, what came from that, that, that you knew going forward from that point forward? Oh, from that point forward, uh, I just, there was such a deep revelation that whatever confronts me at any given moment, I'm drawing the larger circle. And and when we draw the larger circle and we include these things, then they do work for us. We take the energy of them and allow it to work for us. I've been in public life for 45 years. Right. So, you know, I've had other situations where, that weren't very pleasant. However, I could just send compassion and realize that I will not buy into anyone's projection of me. Right, and it's fascinating because you know people. They when you're in public life, they worship you, they vilify you, they you know want to burn you at the stake, they want to they want to give you sainthood. You you get to experience it all. You can't buy into any of it. Those are emotions, but the deep feeling and the knowingness that there is a power and a presence that goes before us and prepares the way, and we are given the opportunity to shine our light in the darkness. And that darkness, what does it say? Comprehended that not and shadows flee away forever. Because the light not only absorbs uh, the darkness, it illuminates it. 
so right. we can see it for what it is. Right. And so I think as women, you know, we have a lot of security issues and we have things that, you know, come up for uh in just our own programming. I think it's it's amazing uh the programming that, that we've endured uh regarding economics and not having for equal you know, gay for equal jobs and the same uh, things that men are doing that that women have been uh, given lesser. So we have we have this whole projection. It's a societal projection. It's actually a national projection. And to work through that through the years, we're standing on the shoulders of every woman that worked for our vote. Right. We're standing on the shoulders of every woman that said you are equal. And we are standing on the shoulders of all those that went before us, that believed in us, that cheered us on, that acknowledged who we are, were and the opportunity to be even more. I mean, my mother used to tell me, you can do anything. She didn't believe it for herself at all, but she used to tell me that right. and wanted that for me. And, and what I would think, I believe right now is that even the present moment that we're in as women in our nation is that this is the next evolution. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of um, women really stepping up and stepping into their power in ways that they haven't in the past. And that, that started, you know, that shift will enable others to stand on our shoulders at some point in the future. Exactly. And, and that's really, you know, such a beautiful ripple effect of what can happen. And I'm just, I'm it a is. big believer in callings in our life. And, and I've heard you say that you had a call so strong that it became involuntary, right? It, it's that exactly. your profession chose you and it became a way of life. Tell us about this. Um, was there a defining time or situation that really shaped this calling? Yes, I was 10 years old, and um, oh wow, I had, I, had a, I had a sandbox, and I wanted a playhouse, but my father, as far as he could get, was like the square sandbox and put sand in it. So my sister and I, you know, we were very disappointed. Obviously, it wasn't a playhouse. I actually made a decision, you know, in, in that moment that we'll talk about later. But So I came home uh, from Sunday school, and uh, I used to walk to this uh uh, it was very fascinating because I always felt this spiritual energy, no matter where we were. So I used to walk around my next door neighbor, a name Eve Rhodes, would take me to this little little darling church in the Glen, and um, these beautiful calendars with beautiful pictures of the disciples and Mary and Joseph and everybody and Jesus, and so I. I decided that the sandbox was going to be my pulpit. So I tipped it over, got all the sand off of it. And the, the side that was on the ground was obviously, you know, it's very dirty. So I uh, took scotch tape and I taped all these pictures of this calendar on the sandbox to make it a pulpit. And then I went in and got peanut brittle. I thought that can be our Holy Communion. <laughs> and uh, all the, invited all the neighborhood kids to hear about the loaves and fishes and how, you know, Jesus performed this miracle. And I'm 10 years old. And so everyone, I made it very clear, if you listen, you get peanut brittle. And if you talk during my sermon, you don't. So it was very conditional. And in fact, Jimmy Rose always talked during, you know, the sermon. So he never got peanut brittle. <laughs> so you were doing so sermons when you were 10. Yeah, I told the congregation, I've, I've grown. You can now have the peanut brittle. 
even if he attempts to talk, <laughs> well, I'm fucking dying. I'm more unconditional now. So I gave my first sermon. My mother's taking pictures through the bedroom window. And so that was sort of an energy that carried me. And um, what was so fascinating about it is my mother said that when she was pregnant with me, that uh, she they were living in Oklahoma, and my father's family had someone that was, uh, you know, mentally challenged, we call it today. But in those days, they they called them something else. And they put him in like a little hovel in the back of the barn. And they wouldn't, they were very ashamed of these uh, dear souls that came in with mental challenges. And she said she was so stunned and startled when she saw him that she said, dear God, please make my baby perfect and I'll dedicate him to the ministry. Now, she, you know, she is pregnant and she's making this declaration, just make my baby perfect, and I'll dedicate him to the ministry. Mm. So when she had a daughter, she said she didn't think any more of it because women were not ministers. Oh. And what I, love, what I love about our way of life is that there are just as many ministers now in the movement as there are men. It's 50-50 now. Oh, it is. In fact, someone said it's like 55% now women in the New Thought Movement as ministers, where 43 years ago, uh, when I was ordained, uh, I was like one of three. So uh, the founder of our movement also empowered women and believed in equality, which was really wonderful. So to be in a way of life that wants to make a difference, uh, and I've done a lot of corporate work where uh, I used to teach self-image psychology uh, and at the college level, and it all goes hand in hand because how we feel about ourselves is the message that we're going to put out into the world. Yes. And the things that arrive in our lives are there to really evolve us, to push us forward, to expand our consciousness, to see things in a much broader view than we ever have before. And I believe that's why we create certain challenges in our lives so that we can just surrender to the energy within us and allow our power to come forth and to deal with, with whatever is in front of us and to know that uh, we chose it on some subliminal level. Mm-hmm. May not I believe have that. And so let's work with it rather right. than against it. Right. And so, so many of our listeners are being called to step up in, you know, their own unique ways to raise their voice, their presence, and how they are making a difference in the world, um, you know, with the talents that they were, they were given. What advice would you offer to, to them, to, the, to our women listeners, around hearing that universal message around their own callings? And then number two, following that calling. When we have that calling, you know, and it's much, some people have jobs, but when you have a calling, there is passion, power, and presence. Mm-hmm. And it does, it is an involuntary thing that it does choose us. When we follow that, we create miracles. I mean, I love the statement about uh, persistence and determination alone are omnipotent that through the persistence of doing whatever it takes to fulfill our own destiny, then we will create the miracles around that. We will create material assistance. We will create providence does the rest. We have to make the commitment 
we step up and we say, you know, I am called to do this. This is part of who I am. And as we surrender to that, it's amazing what shows up and have that faith. We know that when fear knocks at the door and faith answers, behold, no one is there because the light penetrates anything unlike itself. And when we are feeling fearful, just to go within, to sit down for a moment, to go within and say, what is this about? And fear is always a future thing. Regret is always a past thing. When we're living in the present moment, that's true power. That's presence. That's mindfulness. That's giving uh, way to a larger worldview. So a calling is part of us. And to answer that call is to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to fulfill that destiny. And I loved reading about you, Cami, where you were in the corporate world and you had, you were suddenly no longer fulfilled. You had a higher calling. Right. You had to release what you were doing and go into nature. Yeah. Yeah. I was, it was, it was definitely inevitable and it was definitely this pull that yes, you need to be doing something different. And, and soon, as soon as I started opening up my mind and the, you know, to the possibilities that were there and actually seeing things through a different lens, just as you said, the whole universe kind of gets in behind you, right? It's like, it's it, the doors start opening. It's really amazing when that happens. It is. And you spoke your word, you followed your heart uh, something opened, you know, the portal opened, yep. you stepped through, and you never looked back. That's so true. this was what you were called to do. And I, I love the name of your book, Fire Dancing. Mm. And that uh, when we dance in the flames of the light of uh, that true love and passion and presence, the, the sacred, you know, that's really the sacred. Right. And having uh, an experience of the sacred our daily life is our temple and our religion and what we put into uh, our daily life and really honoring it as this is something sacred. This is a gift. And I'm going to give my all. We're going to always have lower energy days. And when we have those days, just to use it as a time to go within, to rest, regenerate, recreate our energy, and then arise again. And uh, do what we can where we are with the tools we have, knowing that someone has benefited. And that when we have this call, it's, uh, I feel it's, it's a gift and we honor it. And right. we honor it by right. answering it. I agree. So you've been declared a minister of peace and you currently serve as the president of the International Foundation for World Peace. And the whole concept of peace on earth has, has always inspired me. You know, the, the John Lennon song, Imagine, has brings some up yeah. along, amongst the top two or three all-time favorite songs out there. Can you talk to us about your vision of peace and how we, and what can we do, each as individuals, to bring more focus to world peace, to, to make a difference in that vision? Uh, Dr. Emmanuel Ida wrote a book called The Charity Peace Model, mm-hmm. and he is a very humble priest in Africa, and he had a vision from uh, this very, really very humble little village. Uh, he had a vision of uh, building schools and universities, 
and he actually came to America. He went to Chicago to Loyola University and and uh, got his degrees and went back to Alili, which is in the river state of Nigeria. Mm-hmm. There's been going on in Nigeria. And he built two universities, Madonna University and a Polytechnic University, which gives uh, the students a trade. He also uh, built a cathedral that houses 25,000 students, and uh, Pope Paul blessed the cornerstone of it. Now, you have to realize this was a little humble village in the River State. Mm -hmm. Then he started the Peace and Reconciliation Center, where if people were in court for Lord only knows how long, uh, and they weren't getting resolution, he had the Peace and Reconciliation Center, where he would have them come and he would arbitrate. And in this book, The Charity Peace Model, um, he was actually nominated uh, for the Nobel Peace Prize by our our group. Uh, He's just done so much. And um, we were speaking in Madonna University to 25,000 students and faculty. I've done their commencement ceremonies, I mean, (laughs) which I didn't know. Uh, It was really interesting to me. Assistant, uh, the, the uh, assistant chancellor said, Dr. Sharon is not only doctor, she is mother, and she is going to give the commencement address. So <laughs> as I'm sitting there, you know, I didn't know I was giving the commencement address. <laughs> you know, I was, okay, <laughs> all right. So I talked about the success type personality, and I took the word success and, and did, you know, S is for sense of direction. U is for understanding, C is for courage, C is for charity, um, E is for uh, esteem, having esteem and enthusiasm, um, um, S is for self-confidence and self and not only self-esteem, but a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. So I did this whole across, you know, that I tapped into because I'd given it before to other groups, and it was very successful as a commencement address. Then I learned that in Africa, the greatest, the absolute greatest title that they can give you an honor is to call you mother. Mm. And here I am at Madonna University. So he said, she is great mother. And uh, the person sitting next to me, and he said, uh, this is a great honor to be called mother. Yes. And I just got up and did the commencement address. Well, then we had uh, Doctors Without Borders that were giving talks, and we had professors and physicists and medical doctors all, you know, giving talks at this uh, wonderful conference that was held at Madonna University to the efforts of Dr. Ida. And um, we went with them to this little uh, chamber, and uh, one of the uh, guests uh, said, uh, we have voted you as the president of our International Foundation for World Peace. And I immediately declined. And I said, you know, you're all so, so gifted. And I'm a minister in Palm Springs. And, you know, I, I do a lot of other speaking. And, and uh, I have so much on my plate. And they said, oh, no. Oh, no. You are to be the president. Right. When you speak, we learn. So here, this is uh, an MD telling me this. And they're energetically uh, every every uh, wonderful profession you can think of, and professors as well, 
from Zagreb, Croatia, and uh, Warsaw, Poland, professors, uh, my friend, Dr. Elizabeth Gulick, who is a medical doctor in Amsterdam, and this goes on and on in that way. And so I realized that the universe was saying, you are ready to go to the next level, or this group would not have insisted unanimously that I am to be the president. So I started going all over the world uh, presenting on the charity peace model by Dr. Emmanuel Ida. And our group, we nominated him for the Nobel Peace Prize. So I went to Oslo. Dr. Elizabeth uh, called and she said, you're going to be going December 1st. The Nobel Institute in Oslo, Norway is closed for December. I'd already booked my tickets. I'd already gotten my hotel. I'd done everything. So I said, you know what? I've already done all of these things. So everything is in order. I'm going to go just to get the lay of the land and the feel for Oslo. So she's just in Amsterdam. So she writes back and said, I'm not letting you go alone. So she, because she was on the board. And then my other board member, Dr. Miroslav Postasik, who was a professor at Zagreb University in Croatia and also a medical doctor himself, uh, said, then I will come as well. So we all met in Oslo and, you know, knowing that the Nobel Peace Prize Institute is closed. But I always feel that uh, things may look closed, but there's always an opening. So I went to the, I said, we're going to the uh, institute and I'm going to ask to speak to the director. So we went to the institute and Dr. Uh, Miroslav was there the day before, kind of in the library and getting a feel for the Nobel Peace Prize Institute. So when we were meeting the following day, he didn't want to make himself so obvious. So he said, I will be at the espresso restaurant cafe across the street and you and Elizabeth can go in. So I went in and I saw someone at a computer and I just said, hello, I'm Dr. Sharon Stroud from the United States of America. And I would like to speak to the director of the Institute. And she says, Oh, one moment. She, Came back, said, oh, he's on the phone. He'll see you in just a moment. So he got off the phone, and he very uh, graciously invited us in, a very handsome Norwegian man. And I said, I'm Dr. Sharon Stroud from the United States of America. I've come to place a nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize. This is all of our paperwork. He said, very well, and he looked through everything. He said, oh, everything's in order, but I see that Dr. Miroslav Stasek from Croatia didn't sign. It has to be signed by a professor. He said, incidentally, my wife is from Croatia. So we got in this amazing conversation, and I said to Elizabeth, please go across the street and get Miroslav. He's got to sign, <laughs> He's got to sign this so that we can have this nomination for Dr. Ida go through. So she went across the street, and she brought him back, and he signed, and we received a personal tour the, they do give tours, but this was like a personal tour that no one receives. We went throughout the entire Nobel Peace Prize Institute. There I was in the midst of uh, uh, Nelson Mandela's uh, Peace Prize. Uh, on the walls, uh, Martin Luther King. It went on and on, uh, just being in the energy, because every Nobel Peace Prize diploma and uh, certificate that they give, they make a copy for their... Nobel Peace Prize Institute. Mm -hmm. So it is filled with energy of these beautiful, esteemed uh, recipients of the Nobel Peace Prize. 
And I was there also in Oslo. Uh, Dr. Ida did not receive it that year, but we have renominated him yet again. And I had the opportunity to be with Malala, the youngest recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. Yes. Uh, Pakistan, who was shot in the head because she wanted an education. And she said, when they wheeled me in on that gurney, and I thought, if I lived through, now she's 16, 15 or 16 at this juncture, shot in the head by the Taliban. If I live through this one day, I will be the prime minister of Pakistan and made this declaration. And as they're wheeling her in, and of course she lived through it. She's right. the youngest recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. Right. And she's, she's doing amazing, amazing things. Exactly. The women's she's education. So amazing. So, Dr. Sharon, let's talk talk to us about the your vision of peace and how we can each what we can each do as individuals to bring more focus to world peace. What is it that we need to be doing? We need to be working on ourselves and our own issues. It's mm-hmm. one thing to wave banners and make the cry for world peace, but if we have dissonance in our own hearts and souls, then that's going to transfer out into the world. So when we heal our own issues our own hurts, our own griefs, and the things that have happened in our own lives, when we heal that, and I mean really heal it in such a way that we can empower others. This is what I love about the 12-step programs is that they heal themselves and then they go forward to sponsor others. So in the same regard, as we heal our own issues, as we go within to really look at uh, what may be triggered or what is laying dormant, when we face those things and uh, that come up for us, when we really, really do our work and go through the release process and let it be as though it never was, learn our lessons well, uh, however, not carry anything. I mean, not carry anything that is going to be, uh, come between us and any living soul. Not everyone will receive us. That's all right. But if we are in our own power, and the ancient one said, stand in your own power circle. Do not bleed energy. In other words, do not release any energy that no longer serves you. Stand in your power center. And when we stand in our power center and we heal our own issues, and this doesn't mean that we're ostriches in our heads in the sand. This means that we take a stand for peace. And every time I see fight hate, fight drugs, fight this, war on this, war on that. We need to make a shift and we need to change completely our nomenclature. You know, that which we utter becomes the outer, right? Mm -hmm. So if we look at the throat center, uh, we really speak things into creation. So we need to speak things. So rather than a war on this and a war on that, we need to bring peace into these situations. I like the word resolution. And so when I see that, I make the shift in my own mind to resolution. Right. And when we have resolution, we have healing. And when we have healing, there's a space that's opened. There's a beautiful statement uh, about uh, an old man. Uh, he wanted to change the world. And he tried to change the world. And the world didn't change. So he thought, ah, what I'll do is I'll change my town. So he went to work on changing his town and nothing happened. So he thought, well, as he matured, he thought, I'll change my family. 
and he went to work on his family. There was no change. Then he became an elderly man peering into a pool, and he saw his reflection. He thought, ah, I should have changed myself. If I would have changed myself, ah, the world would have recognized that change. If I would have changed myself, my town would have recognized that change. If I would have changed myself, my family would have recognized that change. Everyone would have been touched by my change, thereby changing the world. Mm, yeah. So oh, I could go all, all day with you. I, I have a final question for you. What three pearls of wisdom can you leave with our audience today? The first one is tell the truth. Mm. And I learned this uh, at 20 years old. I, uh, I wanted to be an airline stewardess. They're called flight attendants now. You can imagine 50 years ago, it was, it was a stewardess. My mother took me from airline to airline to airline, and they all said the same thing. Oh, you're so pretty. We'll send a letter. You'll get it in two or three weeks. Well, I wanted instant gratification. I wanted to be hired. I wanted to see the world. And they all asked the same question. Why do you want to be an airline stewardess? I said, well, number one, I love people. Yes. And I love to travel. Where have you been? Nowhere. But I know I love to travel. I want to travel. Mm -hmm. So we finally got united. And the gentleman, uh, it was in the afternoon, and he said, why do you want to be an airline stewardess? And I said, I love people. Well, I saw that his eyes sort of went south and glazed over. And then he said, and why else? And I said, well, and I, I want to travel. I love to travel. Where have you been? Nowhere. And, you know, he went further south, and he gave me the <laughs> whole, you know, the whole shtick of, you know, we'll contact you. You're so pretty. And we sent a letter two or three weeks. Thank you so much for coming in. And I got up and my hand was on the doorknob and I turned and I said, you know what, uh, Mr. Smith, there is one other. What is that, dear? And he said, oh, what is that, dear? And I said, to bag me a man. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, you are the first honest woman I have ever met. You're hired. Weigh her in. She is hired. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell the truth. At 20 years old, telling the truth is the greatest shortcut. Right. It cuts through everything. Awesome. Because he knew that all of the thousands of girls that he, he interviewed, that we all gave the same, you know, nicey answer. And that the bottom line is we all wanted to bag a man. So, there you go. Uh, which I did. I met Neil Stroud. So, it, uh, truth, be authentic because no one is more qualified to be you than you. Mm -hmm. And when we're authentic, be someone else. I, I had someone tell me yesterday that she wanted to be as great a speaker as me. And I said, you be as great a speaker as you, you your go. gift, your talent, your energy. Yet that's uniquely you. And, um, we, that authenticity, people get it. They do. They get our authenticity. We need to show up as they ourselves. They get who we are. Yep. We really, really do. What's your number three? So it's tell the truth. Tell the truth, be authentic. And uh, uh, what was number three? Uh, come, from, come from the place of, of just who you are. You know, come from that place of, of uh, following our dreams and realizing that everything is possible. 
Mm-hmm. And when we really get it, that everything is possible uh, energetically, something happens. And you've experienced it. Our listening audience, when they've, they've put the words with the faith, have experienced it. So we really need to honor that. So when we honor who we are, when we embrace who we are, then telling the truth, being authentic, and following our dream creates it. And it's just such an opportunity. It's just such an amazing opportunity that we have to look past what is immediately in front of us and keep our eye on what it is that we want to experience. Well, Dr. Sharon, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners will enjoy your wisdom. And um, I will I will post um, information where they can reach you on the, the page, on the webpage. So thank you so much for your time today. You're so welcome, Cammie. It was a joy to be with you. Have a wonderful day. You too, dear. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGilman.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.